Well, good morning again, and Merry Christmas to you and to all. And I am excited for today. We have talked quite a bit about the meaning of Christmas. And I know you all get it. I know you get it. But there is always room for improvement. And it's interesting that I say room for improvement because we are going to be talking about making room for Jesus. Believers may say, wait a minute, Pastor Mark. Jesus lives inside me. He dwells in me. I've made room. Yes, I believe you have. And we'll go over that. But sometimes you have to continually clean house and make room. And we're going to talk about that today, making room for Jesus. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, we started the Christmas season actually out with this text. But what I would like to do is read the first seven verses of this just again, just again. We're going to end in verse 7. If you'll look at 2, Luke 2, let's look at verses 1 through 7. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, he also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. No place for them. Well, let's recap for a second. We understand that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and entered this world. And that Word was Jesus, who was, been, who was eternal. But he entered in as a child, as an infant. He would be, or is, excuse me, as he came into this world, he was Jesus, who was the Savior, who was the Christ, and who was the Lord. He would be the one to redeem all those that God called to him. He would be the one to redeem uh, those that were forgiven completely of sins and made whole. He would be the ones that, uh, he'd be the one that would redeem those that would have an eternal life and an abundant life here. He came to save, which was lost, and that's what Christmas is. And in this, knowing Jesus full well as Savior Christ and Lord, like the wise men, we seek him earnestly. We continually seek Christ to worship him like we are today, like we just did in song, like we'll do tonight. We seek him, we worship him, because we are called to be lights that present Christ to others, just like that light, that star, his star stopped over where he was so the wise men could find and worship him. We are to be called that kind of light. But in thinking about this, Jesus being that light that lives within us, how much room 
are we actually giving him? How much space do we have for Jesus? Now, I'd like to go back to the story of the inn. A lot of people don't believe there was an inn because Bethlehem wasn't was a smaller town. It wasn't one of the huge cities. So they thought because there wasn't a main road, there was most likely not a lodging place. And that's just just incorrect. It could easily have been a lodging place. Um, We know that they they could have been there early and it was time to give birth, so they wanted privacy. And they might have started walking around and seeing if they could find a place to have Jesus, have this baby, but not finding it. They could have arrived right at birth. We don't know. We don't know how long they were there. We just know when it came time to give birth that they needed a place to do that. They needed to have that kind of privacy. But there was no room in the end. We have that famous line that we always hear. No room in the end. So here's what's interesting. We don't know why they weren't able to get a room. And although we use reason and logic and we'll figure it out, we don't truly know that why they weren't able to get a room because the Bible does not record the conversation between Joseph, Mary, and the innkeeper. We just know for some reason they could not get in the inn. Now, again, logic and reasoning tells us there's a census. There's this great decree that Caesar Augustus is placed where everybody has to be registered in their hometown. So obviously, many, many people are traveling to Bethlehem, finding lodging, finding a place to sleep and stay for this census. And it was just filled up. Listen, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida is the home of the Florida Gators-Georgia Bulldog game, Florida-Georgia game. I think it personally, down there in Florida, it's bigger than the Super Bowl. But I'm gonna tell you, that week prior and after, you cannot find a motel or a hotel. There is no place to stay. You're going to have to either go higher up in Georgia or over towards Alabama. There is no place to stay in northern Florida when that game's happening. In fact, they created a spot right outside the stadium called RV City. RV City. People will park for a week. It's like this long tailgate party, but they'll live in these RVs because there's no place to stay. People will rent their homes out. They'll go on vacation for a week, rent their homes out in Jacksonville, make bank, because there's no place to stay. And I believe that's what we have here. There's just no room anywhere to have this child. And Mary was about to give birth. Now, I want to talk about what ifs as we go into this story. Um, I had, I taught guitar for a living for years, and I had a, a... a student named Felix. He was 30 years my senior. He was Jehovah's Witness, diehard Jehovah's Witness. So he and I constantly did battle. Super nice guy. We were very kind to each other, but we had difference in beliefs, obviously. And I, being younger and dumber, um, wanted to argue Christianity once again. And I started out with Felix. What if I'm right? What if I'm right and you go to hell? And he just did this. He smiled at me, really lovingly smiled at me. He says, no, Mark, don't. Don't do what ifs. And then he explained to me, and this is one thing I did learn from the Jehovah Witness religion. When you talk about what ifs in a persuasive argument, when someone else is trying to sell you a bill of goods and you're doing the same thing, what ifs don't work. Well, Felix, what if I'm right about Christianity and you go to hell? He says, well, what if I'm right about my religion and you go to hell? Yeah, but what if I'm right about everything that the Bible says? What if I'm right about everything my Bible says? Okay, and we just, it's a vicious circle. What if, what if, what if? 
But what ifs do work when you use hindsight. You guys ever heard the expression hindsight is 2020? Huh? In my life, I want to tell you right now, hindsight is 2020. If I knew then what I know now, I'd probably have a beautiful full head of hair. I'd be fit, right? I've made every mistake under the sun. And I can afterwards say, yeah, hindsight's 2020. I should have known. Had I known then what I know now, that's what what ifs do. That's what what ifs do. So, for instance, what if we had known? Or what if the innkeeper, let's, let's talk about him for a second. What if the innkeeper had known? Known what? What if the innkeeper had known who this new child was, this baby coming? The, what if he had known? What if, and we can do this because hindsight's twenty twenty. what if he had known that the baby would be the one to save him, to save his very life? What if? What if he had known that this baby would be the one who would give him eternal life? So he's standing at the door explaining, we don't have room. I'm sorry, there's no room. But what would he have done had he known who he was talking to in the event that was about to happen? Do you think that he would have made room for Jesus that night? I do. I believe he would have. If you and I were the innkeepers, let's be a Monday morning quarterback. you know what a Monday morning quarterback is? Does anybody know about that? It's where you can kind of sit back and judge that quarterback. I would be so much better. Oh, man, I would have thrown it farther. I would have thrown it harder. I would have scored so many more touchdowns. We're lying to ourselves about that, by the way. First couple plays, we'd be on the ground trying to catch our breath. Monday morning quarterbacks sit back and judge when they don't know really truly about what's going on in that game and what the experience is. So you and I can sit back easily and judge this innkeeper 2,000 years later all day long. Why can we judge him? Because we know. We know who the baby was. We know that it was Jesus born that night. We know that he came to save us and that he came to give us eternal life. We know. So it's silly for us to sit back and go, point fingers at this innkeeper. Because hindsight's twenty twenty. I believe if he had known, he would have made room for Jesus. I believe if he would have known, he would have cleaned the whole house out. Everybody's got to leave. Y'all all are going. They're going to have the whole house to themselves. Get out. And I bet you probably think to yourself right now, you know what? I would do that. If I was that innkeeper, oh boy, let me tell you what. I would totally clean that house. Get out. Take your stuff. This is for the king. The king is being born. The Lord of lords is being born. Get out. The problem with that is are you applying that to your heart? Are you applying that to your heart? Because this is where it gets tricky. This is where judgment comes back and slaps you in the face. Hindsight's twenty twenty. What if? So let me ask you this. Years ago, I saw a Christmas play. Actually, when I was a teenager, so yeah, many years ago. They villainized the innkeeper. Have you ever seen the innkeeper be villainized? He came out all frumpy and heavy, disheveled, and he had this, it was a young kid, it was funny. He had this really gruff voice, and he was so mean to Joseph and Mary in this play. And I've always remembered that, seeing going, I don't think that's how it actually was. I think it was the thing where they opened the door and said, I am so sorry. We've been filled for days. We have no space. And if you're having a baby, I, there's just no room. They're all occupied. I don't see why we villainize the innkeeper. 
But if we do, go ahead and take that finger of yours and point it right towards you. Because if we are villainizing the innkeeper, we need to villainize ourselves. Because with all that we know, all that we know, we are still confronted with the same question as the innkeeper. Do you and I, do we have room for Jesus? And it's easy to say, yeah, but oh no, we're going to dive a little deeper. Because this is a question only you can truly answer today. Do you have room for Jesus? You know, God dwelt in the tent of meeting during the march in the wilderness. They had that temporary temple, the tent of meeting. He would dwell. He would lead them during the day and night. And he dwelt in that temple as well, that temporary temple, the tent of meeting. Then when they built the temple, he dwelt there. God dwelt there. But in 1 Corinthians 3.16, you're going to see this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Folks, the temple, the house is right here. This is God's home. This is where he dwells. Now, you have to remember that throughout the rest of this sermon, that you are the temple. This is extremely important. So, if you would have been one to clean house when Joseph and Mary, you're the innkeeper, Joseph and Mary approach you, they're seeking a room in the inn, and you're clearing house. You're cleaning it up. You're clearing everybody out because you knew it was who was about to enter the world. You knew who it was that was about to enter the world, if that's you. Again, I'm going to ask you, why don't you apply that same action to your heart? Why are you not applying the same action to your heart? Are you not the innkeeper of your heart? Now, this was heavy for me. I read verse 7 over and over. There was no room. There was no place, whatever your Bible version says. There was just no room for Jesus. And I thought, my goodness, if I am now the temple, I know I invited him in, but how much room have I truly given him? Am I crowding him? Is there too much clutter to really let the fullness of God dwell and shine through me? Am I revealing the presence of Christ in my life? Or am I dampening that light because of the junk in my house? Because I didn't clean it and I didn't clear it. We are the innkeepers of our hearts. We have got to remember that. So there was a time... When all of you felt the burden of sin because of the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit began to convict you and lead you to Christ where you'd accept him. The Holy Spirit's at work here. So it is obvious as believers, we made room at some point in our lives for Jesus when we trusted in him as our Lord and as our Savior. We made room. I get that. I believe all of us made room. We know the joy and peace of having Jesus in our lives because we made that room when he entered. We obviously invited him in and made some room. But again, and I'm going to say it over and over, how much room? Because you realize houses tend to fill up and get dirty. How much room are we still allowing for our Lord and Savior to dwell in his temple? You know, we spoke for three weeks now about Christmas, so I know you believers, we know the meaning of Christmas. 
We spoke of the meaning just a few minutes ago. Our Savior entered his creation to save his people. And guess what? He was the only way. To this day, he is the only way. In the future, he will be the only way. That one moment in time secured all who would come to believe. So we know the meaning of Christmas. And this all comes from his love. Don't forget, this all stems from his love. But I have to ask you this, as I asked myself the very same question. As believers who love their Lord and Savior, who know that his spirit dwells in this temple, our bodies, he lives within us, knowing that, how much room have you given him? And it's going to surprise you to realize a lot of us have not given him the room he deserves. And that's what this sermon's all about. So, in fact, when Jesus came in, did you give him just a room? Have you crowded Jesus with all the other things that take up space in your house? Are you pushing him out of the house? Yes, this happens. Christ can be pushed out of your life because of the things that you are choosing before him and above him. The truth is that Jesus wants the whole thing. He wants the whole house. He wants all of you. I need to say that again so you understand it is your body, you being the temple. He wants all of you, not a section, not a segment. Definitely not just a room. Let's talk about a birthday party for a second. I heard a pastor use this illustration once, and why it's not my favorite, the more I thought about it, I was like, wow, this is so direct and so perfect. We're talking about the world rejecting Christ. We're talking about the world believing the joy and peace they have is real. We're talking about the world uh, not making room for Jesus. So I want to use a birthday party for a second. Uh, It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's your birthday. Is anybody's birthday today, by the way? No? Okay, I was going to use an example. So here you are. Uh, You're very excited. I can't wait. It's going to be a great party. You know, your friends come out. Everyone's decorating. They're preparing. They're hanging all your favorite colors and streamers. They're hanging all your favorite colors and balloons. And for some of you, multiple candles, right? Here they bring out this big old cake with multiple candles. Got to call the fire department just in case, right? It's a lot of fire. And then they set up a table with presents. You're going to get presents today. It's your birthday. So they get everything set up, and the party's about to start, and they come and approach you, this group of wonderful people that just decorated, want to celebrate your birthday. And just before the party starts, they ask you to leave. We'd like you to leave. You're like, what? It's my party. It's my birthday. But we don't need you. See, we can still have this party without you. This is exactly how the world treats Jesus. Jesus, we'd love to have your peace, and we want your joy. We just don't want you. That's the world. This is what we live in. This is what we fight against daily. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The God of hope is the one who can allow you to abound in hope. You are not abounding in hope without the God of hope. And what does he do? He fills you with all joy and peace. This comes from our God. 
Let me jump off the trail here for a second. You guys remember the show Seinfeld? You remember Seinfeld? Hilarious show. George Costanza, my favorite character. In any event that dealt with him impressing a lady or a group of people, he always wanted to say he was an architect. I'm into architecture. I'm an architect. He wasn't. But George Costanza was a liar. <laughs> this is the, the deception he liked to convey. I'm an architect. So I thought about it. I thought, about, okay, congregation, as much as I love you, I'm going to remove myself from the pulpit because I too want to be an architect. So y'all are like, Pastor Mark's crazy. He's lost it. So a couple days later, y'all come and check on me. I'm sitting on my couch. Because there, I have declared to sit until I become an architect. I am there. I'm going to become an architect. And you come in and you say, well, have you started school? Are you in architecture school? No. Oh, okay. Did you at least go to the library and check out some books on architecture to see if you even like it? No. Library, come on. Well, what about a job that's related to the field so you can get some applicable experience, some hands-on experience? That'd be cool, wouldn't you? Just, Pastor Mark, you're making a mistake. No, no, I'm going to sit here and wait to become an architect. That's, I mean, that's all I need to do. Now, does that sound ridiculous to you? Me going home, sitting on my couch, waiting to become an architect? Absolutely. That is absolutely ridiculous. So isn't it just as ridiculous to say, I want the peace and joy of Christ, I just don't want Christ. Same thing, absolutely ridiculous. You cannot have peace and joy without Jesus. Now, I'm gonna tell you, the world, the world is gonna say, yes, you can. You can have peace, you can have joy. It can be attained without Jesus, but folks, it's not true joy and peace. We know that. We see the world as it is, and a lot of people find joy and peace in things, but that is temporary. It's not real joy and peace. And we can look at the world, its state. We can look at our country. We can look at the people and the broken families. We can look at the pain and the hurt in people's eyes. Things are not right. The world does not know the joy and peace of Jesus. Believers do, though. Believers do. If you remember, I taught a sermon um, titled Christ is Christmas a couple weeks ago. I read some headlines, and what those headlines were about was removing any representation of Christ, any representation of him, taking Christ out of Christmas. Now, like the insanity of leaving a person out of their own birthday party, like the insanity of me leaving the pulpit to become an architect, doing nothing to attain that, right, that insanity also applies to us leaving Christ out of Christmas, but they still want the joy and peace that he brings, just not him. It can't happen. It cannot happen. The world has absolutely no room for Jesus. And unfortunately, you and I have to live in this world among people who believe the lie, Satan's lie, that they have attained this, that joy and peace can be found in other things and in other people. And the truth is, it is only found in Christ. There is no room for Jesus. Isaiah 26.3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Now, a minute ago, I read from Romans that God of hope, the God of hope is filling you with all peace and joy. 
so that you can abound in hope. Now, Isaiah's telling us, listen, not only that, God keeps you and I in perfect peace when our mind has stayed on him. This is important for us. If we are trusting Christ, then our mind needs to be stayed, just like the wise men, that worship that he, they received, or he, Jesus received from them. We need to be able to seek him with our minds stayed on him. This is all part of the, the house being clean, him filling our temple. It's mind, right? It's heart. All of the things that a human being in their function every day experiences and goes through, our thoughts, our desires, goals, what we long for, it should all be stayed on Jesus Christ. That's who we trust in. So there is a story in Scripture that I absolutely love. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And I know a lot of you who've taught Sunday school know this story all too well. But I love this story for this sermon. So I want to read it to you. Uh, it's in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho. This is Jesus, by the way. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Jesus was a rock star. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There is Christmas right there. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Merry Christmas. Let's talk about this, because this is an amazing, amazing piece of Scripture. I need you to know something. Zacchaeus was short. Jewish people, especially in biblical times, were shorter. So Zacchaeus was tiny. Sycamore trees are very large, and they're great climbing trees. I bet we've all climbed them. Awesome branches. So I bet tiny little Zacchaeus climbed up and just kind of leaning over so he could see. Jesus was very popular now. You know why he was popular, the healings, the miracles. They had to see it. We'd want to see it. So he's up in the tree because Jesus is passing. I heard he's coming through Jericho. Yeah, he is. It's Jesus this is what I love. Zacchaeus is in the tree, but it's Jesus who stops in, to that place. He came to that place. It's Jesus who looked up and called him by name and said, what? I must stay at your house today. It's Jesus' work there. I'm going to stay at your house. And then the people are grumbling. He is going to go to a house. He's going to be the guest of a man who is sinner, who is a sinner. Folks, Jesus has sought us by coming into this world. He sought us. He came to seek and to save what was lost. 
He's looked it up. He's looked at all of us and said, I'm coming into your house. Your house. Zacchaeus received him. I have received him, you have. We received him into our house. And Jesus says, what? Well, today salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. And because all those were grumbling, by the way, he added, since he's also a son of Abraham, and he also added, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Those are for those people who are grumbling. But here's what's important, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come into your house today. And what does Zacchaeus do? He cleans house. He's cleaning and clearing out his house. Why? How do we know that? I'm going to give the poor half of my goods. Guys, tax collectors were crooks. And Zacchaeus obviously was a crook because of what he's going to do here to restore things, make things right. This is how they got rich. They defrauded people, charging more than they should have. So he says to Jesus, i got to start cleaning house if you're going to enter my house, so I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. And then he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold, four times. I will restore it. He is cleaning house because Jesus said, I am going to enter. And immediately he says, i got to get rid of the baggage or the, or the chaos or the sin, whatever is crowding this house. i got to make room for this guy. i got to make room for this guy so he can come in. And he does that. And what does Jesus say? Salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus made room for Jesus, didn't he? So I guess again, I ask again, have we or are we making room for Jesus? Let me tell you some of the reasons that get in the way of making room for Jesus. And if the shoe fits, it's that kind of situation. I'm not picking on anybody or stepping on toes. I'm probably talking to more to myself than any of you. But let's go over some of the things that crowd our house and some of the things that push Jesus completely out. Are things just going really well? Have you ever met somebody that goes, you know what? I'm healthy. I'm healthy. Got a great wife, good relationship with kids. Oh, A, B, honor roll or straight A's, you name it. They're in the college. Things are going well. I got a roof over my head. I got plenty of fun money in the bank, food on the table. You know, I just... I don't need Jesus. I mean, I understand you needing that hope. I mean, you, you might need to hold on to him. You're not doing as good as I am. But things are going really well. There are people in this world who believe because of where they're at in life and how they feel at that time that Jesus is just not important, not a need. <laughs> That's probably the majority of the world. Things are going well. If things aren't going well, I tell you what, I will come and meet up with you and we'll talk about the Savior you're talking about. But things are going well. I don't, I don't have room for Jesus or your God. What about this? Uh, his way of doing things don't fit the way we want to do things. His ways aren't our ways. Yeah, I, I, I understand you needing Jesus. I understand you're a religious person. You go to church. You pray, sing, love. I get it. It's just the Bible so ancient. It's such an antique thought and antique concept. I don't see how I could live my life in a biblical way. Culture's different. Um, I support certain things that the culture embraces, and your Bible doesn't. And that just seems like they, you hate people. You know what I'm talking about. Cultural relevance. So the way God wants to teach us and instruct us on living doesn't fit the lives of others. So I cannot make room for Jesus. Come back later. 
hey, actually, yeah, I kind of into what you're saying. But there are some things I want to do and they're not good things. Can you come back later? Jesus, I'll have room later for you. Maybe I'll be a little smarter and maybe I'll be a little more settled down and then I can make some room for you. But right now I've got to do this, this, and this. This comes first. It's priority. It's much more important than you are. I don't have room for Jesus. And busyness. In my conversation with a lot of people, businesses, I listen, I have a family. I have a job. We have this, 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 and this. If you looked at my schedule and my calendar, there, I can't take anything else on. I can't take your Jesus on. I can't take your church on. I am too, too busy. Adding to my plate anything would just be more baggage. See, there are many, many reasons that we can find people's houses crowded and cluttered. Here's some others. Misery. Did you know people that are miserable are actually pushing Jesus out? Their misery is not allowing God to truly bring them joy and peace. There are miserable people. And there's also lust. There's all forms. Lust comes in all shapes and sizes. But lust can crowd Jesus. We give him little room with lust. Hurt. Hurt. Pain. Things we've suffered. That can cause us to make little to no room for Jesus. Addiction. Of course, addiction is a priority over anything and everything. If you've ever known an addict, it too can crowd the house, leaving Jesus no place. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a definitely a dangerous thing for a Christian. Sometimes they can coast on what they believe is Christ-like righteousness, but truly it's actually of the self. And we can push Jesus out with our very own self-righteousness. And of course, your passions and your desires, if they're not in line with God's will, can be a horrible obstacle for making room. So, these are some of the things. But let me read this verse to you. This is Colossians 3, 8 through 10. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk for your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This new self, right? This new self was applied to us as the Holy Spirit convicted, led us to Christ, He enters our house, his temple, and we have this new self. Yet a lot of us want to hold on to the old self and its practices. Those practices are what cause little to no room for Jesus in your life, in your temple, in your house. So we have got to be very careful, again, about what's cluttering. And this is why it's very important to seek Jesus continually because he is the one who is going to reveal this for you. I'll talk more about that in a sec. I want to piggyback that verse with Romans 6, 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin can have dominion over people. 
You can obey its passions, right? What is reigning in your body? I want Christ to reign in my body. I want him to have the whole thing. But am I allowing other things in that are causing his reign within me to have little to no room? Am I allowing that light to dim and dim even more because I am choosing to obey other passions other than Jesus Christ? See, there are so many reasons to give Jesus little to no room in your heart. There are so many reasons to give Jesus little to no room in your life. The same thing applies, folks, to your time, and the same thing applies to your finances. You have to ask yourself this question, heart, life, time, finances, the whole, uh, the whole gamut, if you will, of our humanity. Is the inn full for you? If you open the door, would you say, I'm sorry, I'm full. There's just no room for Jesus. Again, if you are the innkeeper of your heart, these questions, these questions you have to answer, you have to pray about, you have to go to Jesus and say, I need my house cleansed. I need it to be revealed what's going on. Ephesians 3, 14 and 19, as we close, I'm getting to the closing here. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we clean house, we have to understand that we are strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit in that cleansing because the Spirit lives in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts, right? And, listen, you got to understand this. If we truly want to be filled with all the fullness of God, don't we have to make room for all the fullness of God? If you're having me over for dinner, I know it's going to be a good one. I'm skipping lunch. I want to be empty so I can be full. You know what I'm talking about. If I want to be filled up with something good, I need to make room. If there's something in my life that's not working, I want to cut it out. I have a dining room at my house. I'm not a dining room, a dining room table. This dining room, oh, my wife's going to kill me. This dining room table <laughs> is, when you enter the back of my house, which we do, no one uses the front door, there it is. There's a living room, a little tiny kitchen, and there's the table. And it's interesting because that becomes the hub for everybody's backpacks, purses, lunchboxes, coats, mail, paperwork, uh, anything you can think of that's in your pockets or on your body, it goes on top of this table. You forget there's a table there. It's like a storage area. That's our dining room table. So every once in a while, we'll eat at that table. Now, to eat at that table, a lot of times, if it's just a couple of us, we'll move this stuff, put our plate down. Like, I think I can see you over the stuff. We'll have these little sections. But if we're all going to eat, guess what we have to do? We have to clean the table. We have to clear it, put everything away, clean the table so that it can be used for the design and purpose it was tended for. Here's the intent of the table, to actually sit and eat there. We played a game Friday night. We played a game Friday night. It was a lot of fun. 
But guess what? Before the game was played, we had to clean and clear this table. And so we played the game. If you walked into my house today, I guarantee you wouldn't know that's a table again. We have to continually monitor and clear the clutter and the crowdedness of this table so that we can use it. Folks, that is no different than our heart. My dining room table is no different than our hearts. It has to be maintained. Now, there is only one who can truly cleanse and clean the house, his temple. That is Christ. Christ cleanses the believer's heart. It is Christ who cleanses the believer's heart. I love this. There was a a Congregationalist pastor in the 1800s. His name was Thomas K. Beecher. And I've always loved this. He said this. And I I actually feel like I would have known a person like this. It's a good story. Listen to this. Thomas K. Beecher, the pastor, who could not bear deceit in any form, finding that a clock in his church was habitually too fast or too slow, hung a placard or a sign on the wall in big letters. And this is what the sign read. Don't blame my hands. The trouble lies deeper. Wow. That is where the trouble lies with us, folks. When our hands do wrong, when our feet lead us astray and we do wrong, our lips, our thoughts, the trouble lies so deep that only God's miraculous power can actually deal with it. He is the, amen, brother. Yes, he is cleansing us. He is the only one. So sin indeed goes deep, but Christ goes deeper. And this is who we're praying to and asking, please come in and remove what needs to be removed. Cut what needs to be cut. Clean this house. Clean this temple. Because I want this whole body, this whole person, I want it to be filled with your full, the fullness of God. I want it to, Christ to dwell in it fully. I want him to reign. I don't want anything else to have dominion over me or power over me. So thank God Jesus is the one who has the power to cleanse and remove these things. So here's Christmas season. Here's our Christmas season. We know who Christ is, Savior and Lord. We know who we worship and what's happened, the events that are taking place. We know the meaning of Christmas. We know to seek our God continually in worship and to be a light in a dark, dark world. But as we do that, we have got to be reminded of making room because I'm telling you, each and every one of us, especially me, can allow that room and that space to become cluttered and crowded, pushing Jesus out or giving him little to no room. And I want all of God as much as he wants all of me. Let's pray that today, that we can cut the things out that are becoming obstacles, cut the things out that are becoming detrimental to our walk with Christ and with our relationship so that he can have all of us. And that's the point of this, making room for Jesus. Again, you are the innkeeper of your heart. We can what if to death what that innkeeper did, but turn the finger and point that blame right to you because you and I are no different. If we're the innkeeper of the heart, we're no different because there's many times we told Jesus there's no room. But let's this season, let this season right now, let's let this begin to change our mind as it stayed on Christ, change our heart as we're renewed, the new self. Let's pray for that today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you. We love you so much. Lord, we are, we don't deserve what you're giving us. 
Lord, we don't deserve it at all. But you being King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior, Christ and Lord, you have redeemed us. You are the reason that we have been corrected and restored. You are the reason we'll stand before God one day. You are the reason that we will enjoy an eternal life that we can't even fathom. And it's all because you entered this world to redeem what was lost. Father, just as you entered Zacchaeus' house, this man who was a sinner, you entered each of our homes. And yes, we were all sinners when you entered us, but not anymore. You have restored us and you have made us right. So Father, our prayer is to make even more room for Jesus to live in us, to shine through us. Father, let us live out what's happening inside because of Christ. Father, open us up to the change and to the, to the remarkable incisions you'll make, cutting out what's horrible, what needs to go, what doesn't belong. Father, we pray that you, you are the architect that comes in and reconstructs us, Father. As we put on the new self, Father, as we continually seek you in worship, as we try to shine and become lights in a dark world, Lord, we need to let Jesus, Holy Spirit, work in us, live in us. Let the fullness of God reign in us. Father, we pray that no other dominions, no other powers are in charge but you and you alone. That's what we're praying for today, Lord. This Christmas season reminds us, Father, that just like the innkeeper, just like the innkeeper saying there's no room. Father, we say that to you constantly. We may not say it in word, but we are saying it in action. We are saying it in thought. Father, let us cut that and take over. We ask you now to take over every heart and just fill us with your love. Father, fill us with your power. Fill us with your spirit. We want all of you just as much as you want all of us. Father, that's our prayer today. And we love you, Father. We love you. We thank you for everything. Everything you do for us, every minute of every day, Father, how you sustain us and maintain us and love on us. Father, the next breath comes from you, and we want to glorify you and worship you in that. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.